Welcome to the Go All In podcast. I'm your host, Rob Bruss, and today on the show, we've got Jack Rosenthal. Jack's an author, an investor, and an entrepreneur. He's written three books, Teen Entrepreneurship, Teen Investing, and Teen Investing 101. Jack's also the founder of the Young Investors Club, and he's here today to share his experience in investing startups and taking control of your financial future. Let's get started. G'day, Jack. Welcome to the Go All In podcast, mate. Hey, what's going on? You know, through the internet nowadays, it's so cool. We can do uh, an interview all the way in Australia. I'm up here in New York, so it's really cool. I can talk to viewers other side of the world. Yeah, absolutely, mate. I'm really looking forward to this one. I uh, love a good podcast about investing and about how people do it. Uh, and I'm especially inspired by you, young fella. Uh, full disclosure to the audience here, Jack is only 18 years old and he's already in that investing space, written a couple of books, got the startup going and uh, you know, you're know you the entrepreneur, man. You kind of embody everything that the American and the Australian dream is. It's pretty cool, man. I love it. I love how the Australian dream has started to emulate the American dream concept. Really, There's not a lot of other countries that kind of have that same dream concept. And it's really cool that Australia has kind of adopted a similar thing. Yeah, I agree. I think that we both live in very lucky countries where if you have a go, you can get a go. That's what Aussies say. Uh, there's kind of no excuse, you know, both of our countries... Australia may be a little bit more because it's a younger country than the United States, but we're built on immigration. And so people come here to Australia to make a life for themselves. And there's many modern day immigration stories that I know of. I've even experienced it in my very first startup. The first person that I ever employed in business was a guy from Sri Lanka. He was a, an electrical engineer and I needed somebody with electrician type qualifications and he was an engineer. He didn't have the right quals, but he had enough of it. And it was really interesting. His English wasn't so great, but he knew exactly what I wanted to do. And he came to work, turned up on time. He stayed late and never, ever complained. And, you know, what is it now? Nearly 20 years on, um, he's doing incredibly well, has his own business, got his own, uh, he's got his electrician's license and everything like that. So really good example of uh, if you have a go, you'll get a go and you can make the most of it. So tell us a little bit about your story and your background in investing. How did you get into all of this? Yeah, sure. So my name's Jack Rosenthal. I'm 18 years old. I'm from New York, but I go to school in Boston. Uh, I go to Babson College. Um, so let's see, where did I get started investing? I started investing when I was eight years old. I started investing in the U.S. stock market. My grandfather actually got me into investing then. He said, you know, Jack, here's a stock market portfolio. Here's an account. You can decide how you want to invest it. And ever since then, I've been investing. Um, when I was 14 years old, I started this thing called the Young Investors Club, which I started with zero members, just me. And basically the idea was a way for teenagers to invest money collectively in the stock market. We started off in just New York and then expanded to the East Coast. So that first year we had 20 members and $20,000 in assets in the group. Um, by junior year of high school, so when I was 16 years old, we had close to 40 members and over $40,000 in assets under management in the group. Then by the end of that year, I decided I wanted to make it the largest teen investing club by assets in the country. 
And by the end of that year, we had close to 100 members and over $120,000 in assets in the club, making it the largest that I'm aware of teen investing club. Um, and then real quick, right after that, I wrote my first book, Teen Investing, after my whole experience running the club, basically teaching teenagers about how to invest in the stock market, which everyone can go find on Amazon, by the way, if you want to learn more about teen investing for your parent. You're probably a parent listening to this, so for your teenager. Um, and then most recently, I wrote my latest books, Teen Entrepreneurship and Teen Investing 101. And now here we are today. Yeah, very nice, very nice. What about writing a book, man? That's not an easy task, no matter how old you are, whether you're young or old, that's, that's a difficult task. And you've written three of them, man. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, well, I wrote my most recent book, Teen Entrepreneurship, I think in like one week in college. I just kind of stayed up at night and just kind of read the book straight. Um, really cool process of how I did it. So I, basically, yeah, I, I had all this time of free at night. And I was like, hey, I got to put this time to some good use. You know, oh, I was just going to waste, especially during the weekdays at college. There's some stuff to do during nights at college on the weekends, as I'm sure some people can manage, imagine. But during the weekdays, they're just dead. Like if you have finished all your work, you got nothing left to do. Um, so while some kids were, you know, doing their laundry or watching TV or whatever, I was like, you know, I'm going to write another book. So I wrote Teen Entrepreneurship. Uh, I started it and completed it in a little over one month and a half. So and how has the self-publishing journey been for you? Has that been something easy? Has it been a learning curve or what, what, what would you say about that? Yeah, self-publishing is great. Highly recommended for a lot of people. Uh, there's a lot of publishing firms out there that charge authors a lot of money up front and it takes over a year to publish the book. For most authors, I don't think publishing through a traditional publisher makes sense. Publishing on Amazon is great. It's not easy, but it's relatively simple. And if you know how to promote and you know how to market, you, you know, you can capture way more of the percentage of the profits through self-publishing than you can through uh, going through a traditional publishers. So highly recommend it for most people. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people write a book thinking that they're going to make a million dollars from their book, but that's rarely the case. The book usually opens doors for people and is a, a really great thing for that. Has that been true for you as well? Yeah, totally. So it's funny, actually, we were talking to a publisher, because now that I've written three books, we were thinking about, okay, let's consider going down the publishing route, because there are definitely some advantages, don't get me wrong, they have usually huge access to distribution, which is something you lack as a self-published author. Um, so we were talking to them, and yeah, I was like, you know, so what's the return on this? Like, you know, we're going to pay you guys this money up front, what are we getting in return? And almost all the publishers and marketers we spoke to said, you're not going to get any return back from the book sales. So it's like, well, why on earth would anyone do it? They said because of the speaking engagements and because of the just overall, um, what's the word, brain, personal brain it builds up for yourself in the marketplace, they make their returns back over and over again. Because if one person reads your book on, say, business strategy and then they give you a call for a speech or they give you a call for consulting, that consulting job is worth $50,000 that pays for the whole project. Yeah, definitely. That's held true for me for this podcast as well. Actually, I started out wanting to write a book, but that process was too laborious for me. And I felt like I kept flip flopping on everything all the time. I always changed my opinions about things. And I, I, I realized what I was trying to do was to express myself. And I didn't really want to express myself in writing. I think I could do that in a much better way in an audio format and a video format. So that's kind of the genesis of my podcast. I wanted to do that. At some point, I'll probably write a book. Recently, I, um, I put together a masterclass and it's a, it's a bunch of videos, about 20 videos in that masterclass. Uh, and it kind of gives me the flexibility to go back and change it if I want. And I guess as a self-published author, you can always go back and amend your documents and change those things as well. Uh, but once you go 
and get published by uh, a recognised publishing company. That all changes, of course. Pretty interesting. Mate, you said you had uh, your granddad as a mentor there in the investing space. Tell us about that. He obviously, he set you up with a, um, with, with a block of money in, the, in a, an account and you learned how to trade that and invest that. Did, was it difficult for you to learn? Did he guide you? Tell us about the process. Yeah, totally. At first, I just want to show a visual of my book. That's what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, there it is. Don't worry. We'll link to that and I'll, I'll make I know, some assets and share it around the this. The visual so. kind of gives people a better idea. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, anyway, yeah, my grandfather is a great mentor, a great mentor of mine. Fortunately, I'm still lucky. I still have him in my life. Um, he, he's been, he was a commodities trader back in his day. So he's mostly trading gold. He didn't so much trade on the stock market, but he knew a lot about trading. His story's really interesting. He came to America as a poor immigrant with a few hundred bucks and built up a, uh, a large portfolio for himself just through working and then taking the money from that and investing it. Um, so anyway, yeah, he taught me all about how to invest in the stock market. The way it worked is when I was eight years old, he gave me a few thousand dollars and said, all right, here, you can put this in the stock market. Um, he had to set up an account for my brother. He said, I'm going to put my, my brother's account all in the S&P. And Jack, you're more interested in the stock market. You can decide what you want to do with the stocks on your own and decide which investments you want to make. Um, so then really interesting, he actually let me fail the first year. Just kind of do it all on your own and see what you can do. Mm-hmm. I had some successes but made some mistakes. And I ended up losing 4% that year, which really stung as a eight-year-old. That was like a big percentage of my wealth. So I was like, ah, oh, what, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> and then I can't kind of came back to my grandfather this time, asked him for his advice. And he kind of taught me, here's how I invest. Here's the value that I look for in companies. And I've been following his investing principles as well as others ever since. And fortunately, I've done a lot better ever since. And do you still go back and forth with him and have these conversations with him? Oh, yeah, of course. You know, there's every every other week I probably give him a call. I'm like, hey, you know, what are we doing with my portfolio? Should we sell this company? Should we buy this company? What do you think of Bitcoin? He obviously hates Bitcoin. Everyone in that older generation does. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he's, he's a great mentor and uh, partner to have in the stock market. That's really nice. Does, does he kind of just let you be the sounding, like he's the sounding board or is he actually sharing the advice with you because I know that the sometimes the younger people in my life like my kids who are kind of around your age are asking me questions and what they're doing is they're looking for answers and it doesn't really matter what the subject is and often it's the easiest thing in the world just to give them the answer straight up but that's not always the right thing to do because you've got to let people make their own mistakes and you've got to help them to make their own decisions as well it, does he do that with you or does he kind of guide you a little bit more yeah, I'd say that's not so much his style. His style is he makes very clear his opinion now, especially now oh, that's I'm good. a lot older and I kind of you know listen to his advice and, and and understand where his advice comes from. When I was younger, it kind of made sense for him to let me fail first, that I would then go back to him to listen for his advice. Now I'm older, I agree with him on a lot of things, disagree with him on some things, um, but yeah, he makes his opinions very clear now. You know, especially yeah. at his older age, he's 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 kind of got his ways. He's done the same thing the same way for fifty years, and that's worked really well for him. So he kind of makes it very clear what he thinks I should do. Yeah, the, re- the really important points. That's why I'm asking that. You know, especially when it comes to asking people for advice around money and things that are really important like that, because you've got to take all these opinions and you take all of this information and you've got to end up making a decision and when you first start out doing something like what you're talking about doing it's very difficult because you don't know who to listen to i was presented with an opportunity recently and you look at it on face value it looks like it's the most fantastic thing ever and it's going to give you some great returns but then you go away and google it and you go oh 
really. For everyone that's having a great experience of it, someone else is having a really bad negative experience of it. And you're sort of like left wondering, how do I make a decision about this? And then you talk to some people who have a good experience, other people have had a bad experience, and you're kind of left sitting on the fence having to have a go at things, but then you don't want to get your fingers burnt at the same time. And what I decided was what you've got to do is you just got to kind of dip your toe in the water and start off small and then kind of add to your position if you're sort of not sure or you're a little bit gun shy about something like that. Yeah, no, that that's the exact same advice that I was going to give. Like, um, and every single time I've ever like jumped all in at once, it's, it's failed for me. Like if I go in a little bit at a time, then it's always worked out a lot better just because you gain so much just through doing it and actually getting a little bit of experience in it and dipping your toe in a little bit. It'll teach you so much more about it. And actually, you know, one person's opinion versus another, like there's so many different, um, oh yeah, for, for a teacher, it's, there's an example. So I'm, I'm still a student, right? I still go to college and people always ask, oh, what do you think of that teacher? And half the people have one opinion and half the people have the other opinion. But until you take one day of that teacher's class, you're not going to ever know. Once you take just one day, you I can tell you exactly what that teacher is going to be like the whole year, how much homework they're going to give, how hard of a grader they are, how nice they are, how easy an explainer they are. But until you do one day, you're never going to know for sure. So it's the same thing in any business or any investment you're taking a look at. Dip your toe in a little bit, gain some experience, and that'll and then that you can decide whether you want to up your position. Yeah, absolutely. This is, by the way, called the Go All In podcast and show but sometimes going all in on something is not necessarily uh and, the and, right and way I of approaching that life man show that that's an amazing i think i got a shirt that says something like yeah something uh, similar all victory <laughs> or something, something like that yeah yeah um but anyway yeah i think it's just go all in but just you know first take a test and then once you're sure then go all in that's what i'd say yeah absolutely jack tell me a little bit about the young investors club so you, you're making money, you're doing oh. the investment, and then you're wanting to actually get this set up and share this with the world as well. Um, so now you're moving from investing into the startup space. And again, as a young person, not having done something like that before, did you have somebody helping you with that? Do you have some guidance there? No. So yeah, my business, I started totally on my own. And that's why I think it's like actually helpful. Like in previous businesses, I've had some guidance, had some help and then failed. This business where I went totally in on my own, no seed investment, no investment upfront, just totally bootstrapping it has actually turned out to be the most successful business I've started. Um, yeah, no one's no one ever really helped me with that business. I heard some guidance, but the guidance I could have built the business without. Um, it was all just really through trial and error, through having my back up against the wall and just like trying to have no way but to figure it out. Um, and yeah, that's, that's how I built that business. That business today, I think you're referencing my marketing company, right? Uh, no, I'm referencing the young investors. Oh, okay. Well, there's two, there's two different things. The young investors club is not really a business. That's almost, I guess you could call it like a club or an organization I started. I didn't make any money from that personally. So we had $120,000 in assets, but that all belonged to different members of the club. It was more of just a really cool brand building thing I did where I put together a club of a hundred uh, hundred students. And then it also is a good launch platform for my book. But yeah, a business that I've started is my marketing company. We could talk about that later, but anyway, yeah, that, well, that, well, that's, that's the business well, that I run. Well, that kind of dovetails into the same part of the conversation. So you had no real guidance there at all. You're just doing that on your own and finding your way through it. What's been the most challenging thing for you so far? Marketing company or Young Investors Club? Marketing. Marketing. Okay. Yeah. Because the Young Investors Club, by the way, I started that when I was 14 and then I exited it from that when I was 18. I left it over to another teenager to run because I always wanted a high school to run it. Now I'm in college. Yeah. Um, marketing company, the hardest thing every single time we scale up. So like I started the marketing company with $50 a month clients. 
And then we scaled up to $300 a month clients and then $1,000 a month clients and then, you know, $1,500 and $2,000 a month clients. So every single time we make that like leap, it's like a talking like a different lingo. It's like a different clientele, a different kind of, uh, a different way you have to sell it, a different kind of results you have to deliver. So each time we level up, that, that's the hardest part. Do you ever find yourself leveling up and wondering what you're doing there because you're not sure where to go next? Yeah, it's like imposter syndrome a little bit because it's like <laughs> in order to get the first 1500 a month client, you have to act like you've already had 1500 a month clients. So it's I've like got 50 of them, man. You know, what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You got to get in that mindset. Um, so yeah, it's like a little bit of that imposter syndrome. That's like the heart. That's the hardest thing to get over. But then once you get over it, then, you, then you're like, okay, I got to get to 3000. Keep going up. Excellent. How many people do you have with you in that organization? So I got two people with me. I got this one lady who's been with me for two years now, which is nice. really cool. Um, and then I got some part-time people with me too. By the way, my shirt says, all I see is victory. I saw, I read what it said. I love it. <laughs> is that what you were doing when you were looking down? <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I was like, what does it say again? I knew it said something cool, but I got to find it. I love it, man. All I see is victory as well, wherever I look. It's a really good thing. Hey, Jack, I just want to shift gears here with you a little bit. There over in the United States, you guys got absolutely hammered with COVID, especially in New York where you are. How is everything there? Is everything okay now? Yeah, everything's getting a lot better. Um, the city is starting to recover again. I went, I visited the city recently. It looks almost as vibrant as it ever did. And I think New York City is a, a good, like, um, uh, what's the word? Like a good resemblance or a good, like, way to show kind of what the rest of the country is feeling. Um, because obviously New York City was one of the areas most affected. And yeah, it looks just as vibrant as it ever did. And I think the country will be on track for a full recovery by summer. Is everything open? Uh, everything is open to, to a great extent. Some restaurants don't have indoor dining, but almost all those restaurants are still open with outdoor dining. And all the New York City restaurants, I think, now are like at least 50%, if not more, capacity for inside. What a crazy time in history, man. I'm glad that everything's okay. All right, let's take a little break and we'll bring it right back. If this is your first time here at the Go All In podcast, welcome. It's great to have you here. And if you're back for more, welcome back. It's great to have you back as well. And as I like to say, I love our repeat offenders here on the Go All In show. So thank you for your loyalty. Now, if you like what you hear on today's show, just take a little peek at your phone and hit the subscribe button on the app that you're listening in on. That way you'll always have some motivation and some Go All In love right there in your pocket. And don't forget, if you're loving what our guest has to say today, you give the podcast a share as well. Alrighty, let's get back to the show. Alrighty, Jack, this is where the rubber meets the road, mate. People come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, could you please share with us your biggest Go All In story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? Yep, made 2,000 cold calls in one month. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Who are you calling, man? Calling business owners for the marketing agency. Gosh, yeah. that's a lot of calls. And you did that personally yourself? Personally myself. What did you learn about yourself in that process, man? That's like a that's a that's a big bold statement, you know. Yeah, I know, I know. There's some I don't think there's some adults that have made two thousand cold calls in their whole life. Yeah, um, I agree. So let's see, what did I learn about myself? I don't know. I kind of was learning more learning about the marketplace than I was really learning about myself. 
um, per perfected, I think, the pitch a little bit over time. But yeah, I really, I think, I mean, I spoke to spoke to business owners, and I really kind of by the end of that got a great sense of what the market needed. Because you find all the time, like people say, oh, you got to sell to the market. You talk to one business owner, you're not going to know what the market wants or what the market's thinking. You talk to two thousand of them, you're going to get a pretty good idea of what the market wants. So I really learned a ton about the market and kind of catered services that would best serve their needs. What were you selling to them? So we were selling social media marketing. That's like our pride. It's our yep. main service um, that we sell businesses, and it was specifically selling realtors on social media marketing, and yeah, just kind of learning all about like the different kind of packages they currently had, how much they were currently spending on social media marketing, how much they're currently spending on marketing, who was currently doing their social media marketing. So, like in addition to this, most of the people I talked to obviously didn't buy it, huge, huge percentage of them, but you get like, you can kind of do these market surveys when you're doing that. It's like, okay, who is currently managing these people's social? Is it them doing it? Is their company doing it? Do they have an assistant doing it, which they're paying a few thousand dollars a month? Do they have a company doing it, which they're paying, you know, one or $2,000 a month? So you pick up a ton of really valuable data. And of course, I also got some business from it, so... Yeah, very nice. And did you start out selling the same service that you ended up with? Because I know that I've often I've often run campaigns yeah. in the past, both in AdWords, in social media, on the phone, all sorts of campaigns. And you start out with this idea, you, you begin with the, the pitch and the script, so to speak, but that shifts and changes and moves with the value of experience and, and just talking to people because what you've got might not match up to what the market wants and you've got to shift and move and be flexible enough to actually make that happen. Yeah, 100%. So originally we were selling leads for social, like leads for real estate agents because I figured that'd be the thing that's most valuable to them. That's the thing that they'd most want. But it turns out after talking to a ton of them, they weren't really so interested in leads. They already had their own leads. You know, they don't really like cold leads. It's like too much for them to deal with. What they really wanted was just someone to handle all their social media for a certain price each month and just let them forget about it. And just, they want, they know they need social media. Every realtor you talk to, they like, yeah, I need to be doing more on social media. Um, but they just don't have the time for it. They don't want to deal with it. They want it to be big, but they don't want to deal with it. They weren't so much interested in leads. And it's funny because I called one guy originally trying to sell him leads. He's like, well, I don't need leads, but what I really need is management. I'm like, all right, we, we can do that for you. And yeah, that, that was a great kind of shift right there. It was like, wait a minute, these people don't want leads. They want management. And yeah, that's a big thing I learned right there. So it's funny. Obviously, an experienced marketer would know that. Like yeah, absolutely. I uh, had this. I had a similar experience in uh, the real estate space recently. Uh, kicked off a new a new venture called My Property Brief, and what what I looked at, I looked at the property market, and I recognised that there's no one that is allowing real estate agents, or as you call them, realtors, to connect with the podcasting audience. There's heaps of podcasts out there about real estate, if you want to do a development or learn how to do a renovation or flip a property or or how to make money with property. But there's nothing for a real estate agent at the coalface to actually communicate their message, their listings, what they've got going on, what their monthly numbers were, what their auction clearance rates were, and all those sorts of things didn't exist. So I've, I've joined those dots and, and brought that together. So I've had some good interest from a lot of different real estate agents, got a couple of shows under my belt now, doing it in YouTube and whatnot as well. But it started out as one thing, it ended up as something completely different, um, which is really, really interesting. Uh, to begin with, I thought that agents would want to come out and tell everybody and tell the world about what's going on and say, hey, you know, we've you know, I sold nine properties last month to the value of, you know, $12 million, whatever it is. We've got 16 new listings this month and I'm looking for properties of A, B and C because I've got a database of X, Y and Z. 
that's what I kind of thought because I know that industry pretty well because I know a bunch of real estate agents and I've just been around it. But I was completely wrong. And it was kind of funny and humbling at the same time as well. And uh, it sounds like you had a similar experience as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I did. Just by talking to the marketplace, you learn way more than you ever will thinking about it inside your head. How long were you doing that for before you realized that, hey, what I'm doing is not quite right? Or is it just uh, shifting and moving with each and every person you're talking to? No, it's probably like 600 in or something. I talked to that guy. And I oh, you were like, a long way in. You're yeah, a starting learner like me. I probably would have got 1,500 in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You got to take quantity. Um, so yeah, now 600 in, whatever. I forget what number the guy was on the list. And he's like, oh, I don't want that, but I want this service. And I was like, all right, we're selling that service only from now on. And then- I'm not asking that question anymore. That's it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then I noticed a ton more interest around that. And then some was maybe going more interest like some were interested in the leads, they expressed some interest, but then they wouldn't close on the on the appointment call. And I noticed it was just because the service was too complicated. It was new to me in addition. So there was some extent of like I hadn't done it for a lot of people before. I do so I'd done social media management for a ton of people before, so I knew every single thing there was to know about that. I'd never done leads before. So there's also some element that on the selling on the sales call itself, my my closing rate wasn't as high. So switching over to management also helped. Nice one. And how long were you doing it for in in duration in time before you started to actually get some traction? Was it a was it a couple of weeks? Was it days? Like you're starting to win a little bit of business? Um, probably like one one week or so, maybe a little over, maybe two weeks, something like that. I made all the calls over the course of a month, so I forget. I don't know what that is per day. Um, so that's I- a lot of calls in a short space of time and a lot of rejection, like continuously. Just go, yeah. man, is this ever going to work? Is this ever going to work? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, but I knew that I had to do it as quick as possible because I was going to lose interest in the more days that went by. Like some people would be like, oh, I, you know, I could do you know, 10 a day or something. I got so many to do. I'll just do less per day. That's actually not really helpful to your mindset because your brain at the end of the day is going to measure, okay, what did I do or how long has it been? Not how much did I do in the day. How long has it been and how much money did I make? So if you're like, okay, I've done this much over the course of a year, that's going to feed very different data into your brain over I've done, this, I've done this much days of work and this is how much I've earned at the end of a month. So yeah, yeah so that's why I try and do as much as I can as quick as possible. And what about now? Are you still doing that? Have you got no, a team I, of people do that, that do that? I don't do that anymore. We're looking into getting a team of people to do that. As I'm sure you're aware, sales is probably the hardest thing to outsource like the the service delivery part of the business that's a lot easier taught it's got like no pressure so it's it's much easier there's a lot more people that just have that generic skill um but yeah the sales process is something i'm still working on today trying to figure out how to outsource that i don't make that many cold calls anymore we have other you know like referrals we have kinds of other things we also have a client base we just kind of continue to earn from every month um but yeah no i don't do that as much anymore Nice one, nice one. Well, that's a hell of a it's a hell of a go all in story. I've never had anybody say that to me that I made two thousand calls in a month. So I know that people that will be listening to this because this is an entrepreneur business style audience will be thinking, "Geez, man, there must have been a better way of doing that." They'll think you're crazy and think that you're uh, or, or uh, maybe you're they'll mad. think, "Man, I better up my numbers." 
<laughs> Hopefully it inspires somebody on the next uh, interview that I do that says, I did 2,500, I beat that guy, that was easy. <laughs> yeah. I, what about now? Is there more efficient ways? There's much more efficient ways. You wouldn't do that again, would you? Um, I mean, if I was really like bored or if I had nothing to do other than that strategy, then I'd do that again. There's no but, reason to. But there is a lot more efficient ways now. There's like online lead generation. There's email. Oh, that's a huge thing. So I realized that, you know, we could you know, make the calls or we could send out some emails and get people that are already expressed a ton of interest and then spend more time talking to those people. It really just depends on how much time you have in the day when you're just starting out um, or, or even if you're not just starting out but you haven't reached a lot of success yet and you don't have a lot of things you're doing in your day, then you have nothing better to do but cold call. But once you start to build up like a management and once you start to build up a business and you got more things on your schedule, then you got less time to actually cold call in the first place. So you got to figure out things that you can do that still have, you know, still bring in sales but take up less of your time and then that's where you can get to email and online advertising and there's some other avenues you can do yeah nice well said well said that's uh, great advice mate if somebody was listening to this and they're on the precipice of starting a business like you've done a couple of times there and they're thinking about going all in maybe they're overthinking it a little bit uh, what would you say to them to give them a little bump and a bit of a nudge over the edge um, well, I'd say like, it just keeps going back to the cold call concept. If I hadn't gone all in that month, I might not have hit, you know, cold call 1099, which got me a sale and paid for all the other thousand cold calls that I made before that. So if you just had like a smaller mindset, and you just didn't hit as many numbers, you would never be able to see what's possible. So that's why you got to choose a period of time or choose a, a more like choose a number of a list that I wanted to do this. I wasn't saying I'm going to spend one month doing as much as I can. I said, I'm just going to call every single person on this 2000 list as fast as possible. Um, so yeah, so choose a, choose a certain amount of data or choose a certain amount of time you want to spend on something and just go all in and then you can measure the results at the end. Because if you don't go all in, you're never going to really know what's possible. I love it, mate. That's great advice. Great advice. Jack. We've got a uh, shorter podcast today. It's been fun hanging out with you here for about half an hour, mate. I'm sure that we could go on for a couple of hours if we had the opportunity, but I'm conscious of your time and I know you've got another appointment coming up, which is really good. I just wanted to give you a chance at the end of the podcast here to add anything that you might have wanted to or maybe you left out because we covered a fair bit of ground already. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess just going back to the investing thing for a second. Obviously, we talked a ton about entrepreneurship on the podcast. As far as investing, usually my biggest advice there, and I'm assuming there's actually not a lot of teenagers listening to this. There's not a lot of teenagers that listen to most podcasts. I'm aware of that. Usually I'm the- We'll get this on YouTube, baby, and they'll see it over there. And, and there, it'll go viral on YouTube. Um, but yeah, for any like parents out there or any teenagers that watch the video, the biggest advice is one, start early. I know that's obvious, but literally every single investor I've talked to, or I was talking to one earlier today, like, wow, I wish I started earlier. Um, so the earlier you start in investing, the better. One, because you can learn more about it like I did when I was younger. And two, uh, because the money is more valuable in the future. So I read a statistic that like $1 today invested is worth the same thing as $8 in the future. That's a really powerful statistic and it'll kind of show you like, well, that $100 item you just bought is actually worth $800. You just haven't seen it yet. Um, so really important to get started in investing young and start investing your money early on. Uh, and then, yeah, and then as far as what I invest in, majority of what I invest in is the stock market. Obviously, there's a ton of other investments, but for young people, 
I've generally seen the stock market's the easiest thing to invest in, the less risk thing to invest in. There's obviously crypto and stuff that's you know obviously more volatile, especially the non-Bitcoin and Ethereum ones. Um, but yeah, the stock market's usually the, the investment that I recommend young people get started in. Obviously, I'm not a registered investment advisor, so it's only entertainment purposes. But anyway, yeah, those would be my thoughts on investing for young people. Yeah, that, that's great advice. I love the idea of getting started early as well. My daughter's just turned 14, or she turned 14, she's about to turn 15 rather. Um, so my partner and I have been talking about that and we talked to her about business and she asked me how my day is going. I tell her about my sales and what's going on and you know, she just rubs her hands together and says, I'm getting a new phone or a new pair of shoes or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I've got to only, shift that mindset. Only she, you know, it's, it's totally understandable. Most people have that mindset. Most adults just kind of grow up with that same child mindset they had and they just take whatever money they get and just spend it immediately but that's not really how you build like if you if you always spend the money you're earning you're you're just going to be working the rest of your life so really important to start learning about investing early yeah absolutely uh, take the money you've got and send it forth to create more babies and create more money and keep only what you need and send the rest of it forth that's uh that's a good good advice and uh great feedback mate it's good stuff jack if people want to connect with you what would be the easiest and the best way to do that well first of all go check out my books all on amazon links will be in the description um and the second thing is if you want to follow me on instagram you can follow me at starsocial.pro that's the instagram of my marketing company but you can shoot me a dm there and get in touch with me direct and yeah that's at starsocial.pro is the best way to find me Excellent. And ladies and gentlemen, as always, the links to connect with Jack, as he mentioned, are right there in the show notes. And go and head over to Amazon and get a copy of his book. It's nice and cheap, just a couple of bucks. Uh, check that out. Grab a copy for your kids and uh, make sure you share what he's learnt with your kids because I know that will help. Well, that just about wraps it up for the show today. If you've got a message or some feedback for the show, you can reach out via the Go All In website or you can drop me a message via Instagram at rob.bruss77 and I'll get back to you there. Before we let you go mate have you got a parting comment a final piece of wisdom from jack rosenthal today mate all i see is victory let's go oh i love it man that's uh that's an awesome parting quote let's get out of here thanks for coming on man we'll see you soon bye for now see ya
along, can't you tell? This place must be hell. No more cookies in this jar. Did I take it too far? Now I dwell in the sand like a fish on land. Take it too far, I dwell. 